This is Transforming Culture, an MBC podcast. everyone to season two of Transforming Culture. It's been a whirlwind year with so many of you letting us know how much you've enjoyed the podcast and we're excited to be back for a second season. If you're joining us for the first time this year, here's the quick rundown. Transforming Culture is a series of talks that our summer Bible teachers give at Muskoka Bible Centre, a Christian retreat and conference centre in Muskoka, Ontario. We ask our Bible teachers to talk about something involving today's culture so that the church can be equipped to engage with and um, transform the world around us. We do a public Q&A with our audience in the summer, but I also record a short Q&A with the teachers afterwards so that we can present it to you as a podcast every fall. In the last year, we've had hundreds of downloads of this podcast, and to our surprise, the listens keep climbing. So we're hoping that you find these talks helpful as you navigate the culture around you. This season, we've got topics ranging from pluralism to immigration to disability in the church, and I'm grateful for each of our Bible teachers and the wisdom they bring. Our first episode of season two is all about kids, and specifically, how we educate them. If there was a number one topic that didn't get covered in season one, this is it. So many parents would finish sessions last year and want to talk about how that particular topic should be handled through the lens of education for young people. So I'm glad that our teacher today, Todd Morikawa, decided to tackle it head on. Todd was born and raised in Hawaii and raised in a Christian home. He doesn't ever remember a time when he rejected God, but the Lord seems to have converted him around the age of 15, which is the year he was baptized in an Assembly of God church. He started pastoring Kailua Baptist Church around 2009 and by God's grace is still preaching there. He's married to Natalie and they have two daughters. He loves reformed theology, eating good food, drinking coffee and sports. He's also currently working on a PhD in historical and theological studies at Southern Seminary. Without further ado, I'd like to present the first talk of our season recorded in early July at MBC. Well, it's great to see everyone here tonight. Uh, I'm going to flip around to different texts of scripture. I'll I'll start by reading to you Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. The title that I've given to this talk is The Discipline and Instruction of the Lord. That's a phrase from Ephesians 6, 4. That's the ESV's translation. The discipline word can also be translated education. And the instruction word is sort of the admonishment word in in the New Testament. And uh, it is uh, a a command given to fathers who are leading the home in the context of the church. Uh, One of my emphases in this is I do hope that everyone will 
at least uh, be more aware of the importance of the local church in the education of our children. Uh, and I do hope uh, even just stating that up front will, will help you see that when we're talking about education of children, it's, it's very easy for uh, those who have children ages 0 to 18 to be thinking about that, that that's who I'm talking to. Because if we're talking about education of children, it's, it's those it's, we're thinking about parents with children in the home. But uh, the, the way God wants every human being to grow in his likeness is always through the ministry of local churches. And if, it is, if, if the local church really is important in the education of children, then there is a place for everyone in the church to be involved in the education of children. Singles, old uh, grandparents, uh, older saints, those who um, that may have had their own children or may never have had children, uh, everyone who is a part of the Church of Christ should be involved in this. So Ephesians 6.4 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. I want to give you what I think is the best approach to the education of our children. But I want you to know up front, and this is going to disappoint half of you, I know. I'm just going to let you know up front that I am not picking public school, private school, or homeschool as the best approach. I believe all the different educational choices are viable Christian options. And if you're thinking, no way, there's no way a, a Christian could send their kid to a public school or to some secular school with the way the world's going, that's exactly the mindset. I want to get rid of the, the there's no way. <laughs> I, I just want, I hope to get rid of that in, in your thinking. Uh, just hope to at least push back against that and hope you can at least understand why. One of my burdens in wanting to address this is that I want Christians to have greater unity in the area of education for children. Unity despite the differences among us. Uh, just so you know, I went to public school my whole life. I, I don't think public school in the States is, is going to be that different from uh, you know, non-Christian public schools here in Canada. There's going to be a lot of the same difficulties and challenges. Uh, I am a product of the public school in the state of Hawaii. Uh, I'm pretty sure most people who grew up in Hawaii even non-Christians would say the public, the public school system in Hawaii right now is probably worse in, for, in a lot of different ways uh, than when I was growing up. And uh, I am not going to argue. I don't think this is a good argument. I, I, I'm not one of those who would argue, well, hey, I, I, I'm a public school product and I turned out okay, right? 
I'm not sure if I turned out okay. You, you can let me know. But that's just, that's not a good argument for something. Just, just because something that, just because God has lots of mercy on, on human lives, uh, that, that's, I am arguing that, that it is viable for Christians to have their kids in public school, but it's not a good argument to just say, well, I turned out okay. That's, that's never an argument for anything in life. Because uh, God has all kinds of mercy on, on all kinds of things that are not ideal. But this whole area is, is not a place for Christians to be fractured over. There's already inevitable division in the body of Christ. And when I say inevitable, I, I mean, this is not God's will. Uh, the, I mean, this is not God's design for the church to have all these different denominations. But... Christians now in a fallen world are trying their best to understand the Bible. And for many centuries, there have been different traditions in the Christian church. In the 11th century, there's the East and West that split. So from that time, there's two traditions going on in, in the Christian church. Come Protestant Reformation, you have Lutherans, Anglicans, Presbyterians, Baptists of different stripes. And eventually in the next century, the Methodists. A couple centuries later, there's Pentecostals of all kinds of different stripes. Now, now there's all these non-denominationals, and which probably many, many different stripes of non-denominationals. So, and all those traditions are Christians trying their best to understand the Bible in a fallen world. God allows it; He's gracious. Uh, that's why it's helpful for all of us to have an understanding of what are the essentials of the Christian faith. So, even if you're from a different tradition, from someone else. I'm, I'm a Reformed Baptist. I have lots of Presbyterian friends on my island and lots of Anglican friends on my islands and lots of Pentecostal friends on my islands. And I can tell uh, we probably are never going to be able to worship in the same church, but I can tell who, who are Christians and who are not by, by the essential beliefs of the Christian faith. And uh, these denominational differences, these uh, differences of different Christian traditions, th those are, would be secondary differences in the Christian faith that won't allow you to worship in the same church, but you still believe in the Trinity. You still believe in the person and work of Christ. And uh, in God's providence, he is just allowing this to happen. I think we should pray for more, for, for some of these traditions to to actually come together, repent of, of wrong beliefs and come together. Never stop praying for, for that. But I can understand at least why my friends up the road in Kailua are Presbyterians. I understand their beliefs. And uh, I, I, I'm not, I'm not going to spend my time trying to convince them to, to become Baptists. We, we're talking about differences of centuries of traditions that have, have disagreed with each other. And so that's what I mean when I say there's already all this inevitable division in the body of Christ. Let's not add to that with what I consider a tertiary issue, which is the so, sort of third level issue uh, where, where you can disagree with another Christian on what is the best option for educating our children. You can actually disagree with another Christian and worship in the same church just fine. 
And if if you're just having a hard time with this with that idea after, at the end of this, I'd love to talk with you more. You can ask more questions about it. Uh, but it's it's the, the short of it is so you can if you just want to check out after I say this and you just sleep the rest of the time, it's fine. The short of it is is that education of children is not the gospel. The 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 system of education is not what Jesus said he was going to build in Matthew 16 to and the gates of hell are not going to prevail against the certain system of education. That that's just not what Jesus said. If we have the gospel, and if you're in a healthy church, you're gonna be able to do the Christian life. And so you will be able to worship with other Christians who agree with you on the gospel. And if you agree on some of the secondary issues that make a local church healthy, you'll be able to worship together. If, even if you have disagreements on, on some of these issues. All right. I, I've gone way too long on this little introductory part. Um, my main exhortation to you is... Let's all be involved. This is where it's, it's a, it's a, this is a church endeavor. Let's all be involved in bringing up the next generation in the discipline and instruction of Christ Jesus. This is possible regardless of educational choices. And I want to cast a vision for you. I actually gained this from a former member of our church. The, the LGBT and the pro-abortion movements are anti-children movements. Among other things, what that means is they're not having children. So if we as Christ's church keep having more children, so just keep having more children, if you're a grandparent, keep encouraging your kids to have more children. If you know people who are married, just encourage them. That's just, just tell that that is one of God's purposes of marriage. Not the only purpose, but is one of clear purposes in marriage to have children. Let's just keep having more children. And let's all work together to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And I promise you again, it's possible regardless of educational choices. It's the church that has to be involved in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And if we do that, imagine with the anti-children culture out here, imagine what the church in Ontario, what Ontario might look like in a couple generations if we just keep having more children than, than all of them and teaching them the ways of the Lord. And I don't know, you're laughing at that, but I actually don't know how else the world changes except that we are in the context of the church. We're preaching the gospel to each other and to our kids, teaching them the ways of the Lord. And I know for sure that's how God saves people is through the church, preaching the gospel, teaching them the ways of the Lord. So if our children are going to become Christians, uh, I, I don't know if everybody in here is, is, is from a Baptistic uh, tradition, um, baptizing people upon a profession of faith. But if you're from a pedo, an infant Baptist tradition, praise God, and you, you, you're, just, you, you're, you're bringing your children up as Christians. And those of us who are in the Baptist traditions, we, we're going to preach the gospel to our children. And when they profess faith, we 
we baptize them and then we're treating them like Christians at that point. But even, even if they're not baptized, we're still trying to discipline them in the ways of the Lord. And we know that has a good effect on human beings. So I hold that out as hope that if we just keep having more children than the world and following Jesus's instructions on how to raise them, that is how this culture can be transformed. Um, so I'll just give you three ways that I think we can get there uh, to, for, for all of us to faithfully be involved in bringing up our children, the next generation in the discipline and instruction of Christ. So first way, remember, this is not just a call for parents but for all Christians. So everyone here can be involved in this. In Ephesians 6, 4, Paul implicitly commands, you probably never thought about it this way. Paul implicitly commands all Christians to be a part of training the next generation when he addresses fathers. He only addresses fathers in Ephesians 6, 4, but he is implicitly addressing married couples, singles, older people, younger people, all must be a part of bringing them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, how do I know that? Uh, before I answer that, if you're wondering why Paul only addresses fathers in Ephesians 6, 4, it's because fathers are called by God to lead the homes. The responsibility is going to fall on them, but clearly children must obey their parents in the Lord. It's honor father and mother, not just father. So, this is, involves both fathers and mothers, clearly. But how do I know this extends even beyond fathers and mothers? First of all, this is not a letter written. This is the book of Ephesians. It's a letter. It's not a letter written exclusively to fathers and mothers. And God does not intend for all Christians to check out of all the passages that is not specifically addressing their demographic in life. This is written to the church in Ephesus. Now, I'm about to disagree with something that Vodibakum once wrote, so, but I, I need you to know I love Vodibakum. He's a great Reformed Baptist preacher. I learned, have learned a lot from his writings and his preachings. Uh, if that name means anything to you, I do um, recommend his book, which I think will be in the bookstore by the end of the week, Family Driven Faith. Uh, but in that book, at one point, he, he has the phrase, um, I wonder if maybe even um, many of you might really just amen this phrase, discipleship begins and ends in the home. Yeah, I hear the amens. I actually, I don't know if I love that language because this is written to the church. Uh, I do think it's, I actually think it's more accurate to say, if we're going to say discipleship, I mean, I don't even know that we have to take a stand on where does it begin, where does it end. It's, it's usually different in everybody's life, really. But I do think it might be more accurate to say that the Christian faith or that the discipleship begins and ends in the Christian church. Uh, not opposed to the home. So I hope you can just understand this. Even government even though the worst government on earth is still instituted by God and 
uh, you're supposed to submit to government leaders so long as they don't command you to disobey God. And uh, you, God, the, the Romans 13 says that government is a minister of God, of the sword. So government is not supposed to be, uh, church is not supposed to be opposed to government either. Church is definitely not supposed to be opposed to the home. So this is not in opposition to the home. But if you're going to summarize Christian discipleship, I think it'd be more helpful for Christians to remember that the local church is God's, it's Jesus's plan for discipleship. That's the, the memory verse that uh, I know many of you are trying to memorize this week from Matthew 16. Jesus is building the church as his vehicle for the kingdom of heaven. Uh, and every single New Testament letter is written to churches. There, there is not, it's not like the, these individual homes that are intended for these letters to circulate. It's always circulating in churches, including Ephesians. So if you have understand that, this command to fathers, he's really talking to fathers. It's command to fathers, do not provoke your children, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. It's the whole church that can hear God commanding fathers to do this. So fathers are going to be held accountable by their churches to make sure they are leading their homes faithfully. Every Christian knows because of commands like this in the Bible that fathers must lead the home. Parents must be training their children in the home. So the church must hold parents accountable to this. And since that's the case, Uh, we can't really hold parents accountable to raising their children in the discipline and instruction of Christ unless we all kind of know what it's supposed to look like. And if we are all supposed to be competent on some level to know what it looks like to train children in the Christian faith, how strange to never put that ability into practice. Let's say you have singles in your church. They should be involved in children's ministry where it's appropriate. So contrary to how many good Christians have read this verse, Paul does not in any way forbid children's ministries in the church. Now, it would be wrong, and here I am in total agreement with Vodibakum, it would be wrong for fathers and mothers to depend solely on the church to train up their children for them. That, that would be totally out of God's design. But it would be equally wrong for fathers and mothers to train up their own children solely without the help of the church. There's, you're not a mini churches. There, there is Jesus' plan for the church. And it's a wonderful design. That's why, you know, churches that are just one sort of demographic are, are not Jesus' design. It's supposed to be all, all generations and all demographics, all socioeconomic levels and all educational levels and all kinds of, as many ethnicities that can speak the same language in one church. It's beautiful to have diversity in the church and God intends for all of it to help 
us raise our children in the faith. On top of that, how many children there are in the world who either don't have Christian parents, but you still want them to come to church, or whose parents are very young in the faith? And yes, even those who are very young in the faith need to keep growing in how to train your own children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. But that's also what the church is for, to aid parents. So not replace parents, to aid parents in training their children. On top of that, the New Testament is full of references to spiritual fathers and spiritual mothers. Romans 16, Paul says, Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who's been a mother to me as well. 1 Timothy 1, Timothy, my true child in the faith. 1 Timothy 5, do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. The New Testament acknowledges spiritual fathers and mothers, those who are called to train younger believers. How strange for Paul to say, fathers, bring up your children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. But if you're just a spiritual father, you, I'm not talking to you. You don't have any part to do with this. It'd be strange for Paul to be saying anything like that. We, we are all meant to take part in training the next generation in the gospel. The command to fathers is truly a command to fathers. So if there's any fathers who are just neglecting their responsibilities in the home, that, that needs to be repented of. It's truly a command to fathers, but it also implies a certain God-ordained structure to all relationships in the church, really in the world. The Westminster Larger Catechism explains the fifth commandment this way. So the fifth commandment is, you shall honor your father and mother. The Westminster Larger Catechism, which, by the way, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with this term catechism. It's not just a Roman Catholic thing. Protestants have been using catechisms to educate their children in the faith for centuries. I highly commend uh, I'm a Baptist, so there's a Baptist version of the Westminster Catechism. So you should do the Baptist Catechism. But if you can only find the Westminster Catechism, it's wonderful. Just you tweak a couple of things on baptism there. Uh, but question 124, who are meant by father and mother in the fifth commandment? Answer, this is what the many Presbyterian pastors were understanding and, and congregationalist pastors in the 17th century. This is how they were understanding what God was teaching us in the fifth commandment. By father and mother are meant not only natural parents, but all superiors in age and gifts, and especially such as by God's ordinance, by his design, are over us in place of authority, whether in family, church, or commonwealth. It's a good Canadian word, right? Commonwealth. Yeah. Christians have long understood these types of commandments to not only be about earthly families. God has revealed a certain order for society through the window of the fifth commandment. And so when we see younger children in the church, we all should look to honor God's design and all take part in investing in their discipleship. So one application here, Christian churches ought to give 
ample opportunity to their members to pour into all the children or any of the children of the church. One way we try to do it at our church, our church welcomes children of any age into the worship service. We, we have childcare available for three and under, but we, we're happy to have babies in the worship service. That's one great way to pour into the next generation is to not get rid of them during the main worship time of the church. Show the kids that they're just as important as any adult in the church. We're especially in the main worship gathering where people are meant to behold the risen Christ in the worship gathering. You want your kids to behold the risen Christ. That's one way to give lots of older members opportunity to interact with children. Just have everyone together often. So that's the first way I think we can approach training up the next generation. This is for everyone to be involved. Second way I think we can get to educating our children faithfully. Remember that God can and does work through all systems of education, all of the educational choices that I assume are represented here. So this is where I will address school choices. As I mentioned, I think public school, private school, whether Christian or secular and homeschool are all viable Christian options. And if, if you just can't fathom that, I'm, I'm just pleading with you to try and think about where this area of Christian doctrine really falls on your uh, theological spectrum of importance. And is it something worth really dividing over? Or what happens most of the time is maybe Christians won't verbally, uh, they, they, or maybe they, they won't uh, physically leave a church, but they end up only hanging out with certain people who have the same educational choices as them. They really speak down upon those who disagree with their choices. Now, inevitably, Christians fall into one of four camps on education. And I'm going to address all of you. I'm going to love on all of you. If it feels like I'm scolding all of you, I'm sorry. I'm, just, I'm trying to just help everyone get to a better place of unity here. So I hope that if, it, if, if you feel corrected, praise God. If you disagree, that's where you can ask questions. Uh, and I'd love to hear if you don't fall into one of these four camps. I can't really fathom how you couldn't. So this is just be so interesting to me personally if you, you, if you can introduce me to a fifth category. First, there's the homeschool camp who says discipleship begins and ends in the home. If you don't homeschool, you're disobeying God. I was actually, I actually was there for a little while, just so you know. I actually did believe that for a time. So I understand that thinking. And if that's you, when the recording of this talk comes out, please listen to point one again. Just, I, I hope that would be helpful. Uh, we homeschooled for a time. We loved it. We love homeschool families. But it simply is not the only option for Christians. My caution to this camp is to not add to the word of God. So this is actually for every camp here. 
But I just sort of, uh, in regardless of what area of doctrine we're talking about, it's always the more conservative ones, if that's the right category for homeschool in this on this spectrum. It's it's the the ones that are more conservative, whatever that might mean, that are usually the ones in danger of adding laws to the Bible, where where God does not actually specify laws and sort of makes always makes everybody else feel like they're disobeying God's commands even though if you read the bible you can't actually find the command that that they're saying that you're disobeying and so just just be cautious do not add to the word of god don't don't add laws where the the bible does not have laws we are all in danger of doing that on any given day it, we're all recovering pharisees that's, that's just who we are uh we we you know we all kind of just are bent towards finding more and more ways to, to feel more righteous. And it, it's just sort of a natural fallenness in us. And so you, you, have, you have lots of great motives there. Again, we're a former homeschool family, and under different circumstances, uh, even right now, we might go back to homeschool. We, we love it. We just don't think it, it should be pushed upon uh, all Christians, the, the way it feels like that camp, or especially if you think you're disobeying God, if you're not homeschooling, but obviously uh, that, that, that would be my caution to that. It, that sounds like you'd be adding to the word of God. Uh, a second camp is the Christian private school camp. This is my current tribe who says, if you let unbelievers train your children, this is why you have to either be homeschool or Christian school. Because if you go to the public school or secular school, you're going to let unbelievers be a part of training up your children. You're letting the devil educate your children. And there is a lot of merit to that camp's thinking. Uh, you, you, they will. Undoubtedly, in secular schools, you're going to be faced with a lot of the lies of the evil one. But my caution to this group, so I can probably speak most boldly to this group because I'm in it, so I'm just preaching to myself here, is that you're underselling God's common grace. So lots of Christians don't have a category for God's common grace, that this is a fallen world, but it's still an incredibly blessed world. Ever since Genesis 3, it's fallen. Ever since Genesis 9 and the rainbow, it's incredibly blessed. Incredible grace upon not just the church, upon all human beings. You're underselling God's common grace and overselling the ability of Christian schools. If you think Christian private school is the only faithful option, that's just overselling what Christian schools are able to do. Uh, so always just, if I can just encourage you to, to think about the category of common grace, even unbelievers teaching our children are still going to stumble upon truths on, on any given day because of God's common grace. Uh, Romans 2 says, when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. So even somebody who's never cracked open a Bible can't get away from this sense of right and wrong. And lots of unbelievers suppress it 
and they're suppressing it all the time more and more. The longer they live in unbelief, they're suppressing it more and more. But they always, there is no human being in the world who's as bad as they could possibly be because of God's restraining grace. This is uh, John Calvin's Institutes of the Christian Religion, which I I believe they're, that's a big one. I think they're going to order it also at the bookstore, but you can find versions of this online. Uh, in, there's a great section on the law, exposition of the, of the moral law in Calvin's Institutes. And he says one of the uses of the law in the world, it even has an effect on unbelievers. It restrains all kinds of sin. You know, even Hitler could have kicked his dog one more time. You ever heard that? Uh, just, just, do you know Hitler? Do you know that name? Anyways, uh, just everybody could be worse because God just has mercy on this world. His law is just imprinted on everybody's heart. So everybody, even though non-Christians just have terrible morals, somewhere though they have a moral line that even, even the worst unbeliever on earth has a moral line that they draw somewhere. They just can't get away from this law that's written on their hearts. That happens even in secular schools. Now, uh, we, we don't want to also oversell the ability of Christian schools because, remember, Ecclesiastes 7.20 still applies to Christians. There is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. Galatians 5.17 still applies to Christian schools for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. The problem with Christian schools is that it's still run by sinners. And then when you think of the way that most Christian schools just have to be by, by just, just impossible to not be otherwise, unless every single teacher in the school is from the same church, just teaching in line with the same historic confession of faith. You're bound to have a bunch of Christians working together that have all kinds of different theological stripes that they're, they're teaching from. You're going to have all kinds of theology in Christian schools, no matter what, going left and right. And uh, it, it just, it's going to be confusing no matter what for in, in, in even the best Christian schools, and I think we're, we have our daughter in what I think is the best Christian school in Hawaii. I, that's, that's totally unbiased. I, I just think that's, it happens to be in our town too, but I just, they happen to rent from our church too. Uh, uh, <laughs> my wife and daughter, older daughter happened to work there too, but you know, it's just, I, we actually think it's actually the best Christian school on island, but I can tell that uh, there's just all kinds of different theologies in this great classical Christian school that, that we send Layla to. Uh, no matter what, Christian schools are going to be messy, even the best ones. Uh, the, the third camp I want to address. So, so just, just know that Jesus did not say to Peter on this rock, I'm going to build my Christian school. That's what the Christian school camp just needs to hear today. That's not what he said. This is why all our kids are going to be fine if you are plugged into a healthy local church. Because what Jesus said is, on this rock, I'm going to build my church. God's design, Jesus' design for the church is how the gospel is going to advance in this world. It's how people are going to be saved in this world. It's how the kingdom is going to come on earth as it is in heaven in this world. As long as churches keep preaching the gospel, 
And we all try to be involved. Even if all the Christian schools in the world disappeared today, we're still going to be able to bring up our children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. I promise you that. Jesus promised you that. Now, the third camp I want to speak to is the public school camp or the camp that says we must not keep our children in a Christian bubble. It's going to keep them sheltered and we're, we'd be neglecting our responsibility to evangelize the world if we just have all our kids in our Christian schools or our Christian homeschools or our Christian camps all the time. Those are understandable arguments as well. I also, I grew up in a public school. I used to think this way. But as far as evangelism goes, you, you do not. Don't let anyone guilt you into this. You do not need to send your kid to a public school in order to fulfill the Great Commission. That is not how it has to work. Since when do we send our most vulnerable to the front lines of hostile territory, of hostile missions work. Since when is that ever the, the plan for the Great Commission? Uh, so the, the, and also, remember, remember the Christian schools? It's all messy. So you, you actually have a bunch of non-Christian students also, and probably some non-Christian teachers. You have lots of non-Christians in Christian schools too. So the evangelism piece, that argument, it just doesn't work. As far as the sheltered idea, you know, I don't know. Maybe you others, you can share what, what, you, what kind of concerns you have with the sheltering idea. I, I don't know what people mean by the sheltering thing. I hope what, what you, you, they don't mean, what, if, if you're in the public school camp, I hope what you don't mean is we need to expose our kids to as much darkness as possible. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I just hope that's not what is meant. That's not Christian parenting. Uh, and it's, if, if this is in your thinking, this is also wrong thinking, wrong-headed. It, it, there's no such thing as you have to be exposed to certain temptations in order to know if you really trust Christ and really repent. That, that, trust me, there's enough sin going on in every human heart. You can, you can be the most sheltered Christian bubble kid that you've ever met in your whole life. Maybe 40 years, you never met a non-Christian in your whole life except one. There's lots of sin to be repented of no matter what. So I just, I don't know what the sheltering thing, those arguments just don't seem to work. I think there's other good reasons to send your kids to public school uh, what I really want to stress to the public school camp is this caution. Just make sure, make sure you are not separating. Make sure you're not separating your child's education from their spiritual formation. You can't, there's no such thing as separating it. You cannot separate your child's education from their spiritual formation. In other words, if you think education is just sort of this modern thing that it's good to have your kids do, but the Bible doesn't have anything to say about it, so you're just going to let the unbelievers do the education thing and you'll handle the spiritual thing in the church, it, it's just not understanding the meaning of words rightly. The, remember, the bring them up in the discipline. The discipline word is the New Testament word for education. And the, the bring them up in the discipline and in instruction, that instruction word, it's, it's the exhortation or admonition word, telling them right and wrong. 
believe me that every school on earth is trying to teach children right and wrong. And so in the public school realm, you have to know that they have a lot of the rights wrong and a lot of the wrongs wrong. They're just getting a lot of the right and wrong wrong. There's just a lot of upside-down morality in the public school realm right now with things like pride all of a sudden being a virtue. A virtue. God opposes the proud. You, you can't... You can't make light of something like pride. So there's all these upside-down morals in the, the public or secular realm, but it goes beyond. So this is where spiritual formation, it, it's more than just the words coming out of the teacher's mouth and the books that are assigned. Those are bad enough. But do you realize that unbelievers are training your children by the way they do not pray. Just, if you go a whole day, so this is even for us as parents, if you go a whole day without praying, one of the major things you've taught your child that day is, oh, I can do everything that I need on my own. I can just do things in my own strength. Uh, do you realize that unbelievers are every time a child does something wicked in school and no discipline towards righteousness? So the whole concept of discipline, you know, there's, there, you, I know in the old days, I don't know if it was like this in Canada, in the old days in the States, they used to actually whack kids with the ruler and stuff. And I don't really commend that practice either, but that doesn't mean discipline can't happen. In school, there's all kinds of ways to discipline, corrective discipline. You know, the church is supposed to practice corrective church discipline. We're not spanking our members with a rod. We're actually just confronting sin, trying to train them, trying to correct behavior. And every time a child does something wicked and no correction comes, all they're training the child to do is to believe, keep believing the lies of Satan you won't really die if you do whatever makes you feel good. So if your child is in the public school system, this, I hope this is for everybody, but I hope this really helps. This is also why for those outside in the other camps here, uh, this is why even those who send their kids to public school can still succeed in parenting their children. Because if you apply something like 2 Corinthians 10, 5, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. We have to, you have to do this even if your kid is in the best Christian school known to man. You have to help them take every thought captive to obey Christ. And we can also do that with our kids in the public school system. We help them take every thought captive to obey Christ. Now, this is just something I think all parents are bent towards, and I understand the temptations. For some reason, we always think this exposure to something sinful here is just going to mess them up for their whole life. And somehow this exposure to, exposure to righteousness here is just not going to have any effect. 
So once, once this happens, they're just messed up. Right? So we, we got to keep them away from being exposed to this evil because once they're exposed here, they're just going to be messed up for life. And it doesn't matter what we try to do after that. But maybe we can give our children more credit than that. Maybe, maybe we can give our children more credit knowing that if they're exposed to some evil here, maybe they might be influenced for a time, but we help them. We help them think through it. And just like they were able to be persuaded here for a time, maybe we can also persuade them here for a time. Just give your children more credit that, yes, there is lots of things to sift through in the public school system, but we, we destroy arguments. We destroy the lofty opinions against God with the word of God and his word never returns void. And when we bring the word to bear on our children's lives, you, you can trust God. You can trust God that he loves your child. And if you bring the truth, the, the one thing that's going to help them is the truths of God's word. And, and it can have a good impact on even children in the public school system. And I'd, I'd argue those who have had to sift through discernment issues, discerning right from wrong after hearing some of the wrong can come out even stronger for having to sift through taking every thought captive. Now, I've gone way over time already. So the fourth camp is just the one that says it doesn't matter. Just God is sovereign. So whatever you do, it's going to turn out fine. And just don't be like that. Everything matters. So just pray for God's wisdom. Everything matters. And it matters from city to city. Some cities are worse than others. Some schools are worse than others. Some kids are just different, differently wired. So everything matters. Pray for wisdom in all of it and act in faith. And I just want, I want to close with the, the third way we can think through education of children. The highest form of education is Christian worship. The highest form of education is Christian worship. Let me just end with this vision from Revelation 4. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night, they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. All I want to say here is the angelic beings have these many eyes, which seems to communicate. They see very clearly in the spiritual realm, and it causes them to declare absolute truth about God. They see God better than any of us can see. Holy, 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 they say. And when they worship God, then the 24 elders also worship God. So when worshipers of God are worshiping God rightly, it begets more worship in other worshipers. So brothers and sisters, make sure you are faithful worshipers of God in Christian churches. You can make all the best choices about schooling. You can pay all the money you want to get the best education for your children. But if your children are not being brought up under faithful gospel preaching churches, they are being robbed of the greatest education that you could ever offer them. The Lord's Day Gathering. Beholding our God in the presence of all the angels and all the saints who have gone before us and all the bride of Christ on earth. 
And having a better vision of God on Sundays is not, it's not, don't think of coming to church on Sunday as, okay, we, we were all dirty from the week, so I, I just need to kind of purify, purify myself on this Sunday so that I can go through that again during the week. It's, it's not like that. Having a better, a good vision of God and having your children behold God in the Lord's Day gathering every week is equipping them to know how to think through everything that they see or hear or are taught in life. Your commitment to a healthy local church is not only a, a part of your child's education. It, it is what will help equip your child in whatever educational choice you have. Let your children behold God. There we go. Todd brought tons of insight into his session, and we dove even deeper into some questions around education, not only in a school setting, but also in the church during our Q&A session afterwards. Give it a listen now. Todd, thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, you know, people are going to be listening to this in October, but right now we are in the middle of the heat of July. Uh, <laughs> we just finished Canada Day. It's, you know, it's Independence Day tomorrow. So I guess happy early Independence Day oh, from October. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, thank you so much for sharing tonight. You know, you walked a lot of fine lines and mm -hmm. I think you did it authentically and well. It's hard when there's some really clear delineated perspectives. I think sometimes we hear topics that are mushy and, and kind of hard to define and there's gray, mm -hmm. but you did a really good job of creating four or maybe five, we'll talk about <laughs> in a few minutes, uh, different areas that require attention when mm -hmm. it comes to Christian education or educating Christian kids. One might say it's a tricky thing because it's all Christian education in one sense. Mm -hmm. uh, and at the same time, we've got responsibilities as parents and I really love that. So yeah, thank you from the bottom of my heart, because as I've mentioned to you, kind of outside of the recording of this, uh, you know, almost every single week last year, someone asked a question, how do I teach this to my kids? And so I'm excited that as we launch the second season of this Transforming Culture podcast that we get to do it like this. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I guess my first question for you, uh, would just kind of revolve around this idea of, of decision-making. I kind of mentioned that. And I actually heard you speak about that because you were homeschooling for a while and now you're in the Christian education system. I, I don't think you're probably heading to public school for your kids anytime soon. Um, but the idea of decision-making came up for me and I was listening to people talk about that after the, mm -hmm. the lecture this evening. It's hard. And I think part of it is that it seems like everything's changing really rapidly. Mm -hmm. um, and, and hopefully this is a softball question, I'm not trying to make it hard, but I'm just wondering if you've got thoughts about that because you've clearly, you and your wife have made a decision at some point to switch from homeschooling to Christian education can you talk a little bit about what that process was like so that our listeners can say, oh, here's some tips or tricks I could use when making an important decision like how to educate my kids? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. Um, I, I'll just try to speak from our our experience. Uh, I'm not sure uh, what we would have done uh, if the Lord had put our family together in a different way, but I think we, for a long time, we have been pro homeschool. Um, we, we never thought of it as the only option, but we, we always thought it was a good option. And we actually ended up adopting our younger daughter from China when she was four years old. And it, it really just seemed like, uh, having as much time with her in the home in the, in the early years as possible, was, was just a really wise option as we brought her into the family. Uh, it, it it is 
still a viable option for us to, to if we ever had to go back to homeschool because of probably mostly financial decisions or fi financial crunches that may come at different times. But uh, we we did around after a couple of years of homeschooling, we we did. Uh, just become aware of what's referred to as the classical Christian method of education. Uh, it's a kind of a growing movement around the world. And um, it, as far as we understand, it's the way Christians have always thought about education. And uh, it, it has been successful in, in as far as uh, producing really good, respectable citizens uh, in, in this world. It, it just seems to have a, a very good track record of that, uh, at least from our limited experience. And so we, we just became attracted to it. There, there happened to be a classical Christian school in our in our town that we live in, where, where I pastor. And so uh, after a couple of years, when it seemed like there was an opportunity to go there, uh, we we were we made the move. Uh, it required Natalie, my wife, needing to work, go back to work to to be able to afford it. Um, and so there's there's all kinds of um, debates that Christians can have about is it is it is that valuable to even have your your wife work outside the home and uh, that that's, that's a different beyond the scope topic. of of this that is yeah. A different <laughs> topic for sure. But I mean, I I hope. Even even in bringing that out, I mean, it just, just these decisions are just always complex. Mm -hmm. So I just think everyone just needs to take James one five to to give it full weight. That if if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who loves to give wisdom to his children. Mm -hmm. And I do believe that to be true in every Christian family situation. So that, at the end of the day, is what we did. We prayed for wisdom, got the wisdom of other Christians around us and other Christians who had homeschooled and who were at the Christian school that we're at now. And it seemed like uh, a great a great decision for, for our family at that point. Do you, and I maybe know the answer to this based on some conversations you've had, but do you, do you evaluate that regularly? I think, as so, and, and most people would know at this point, I, I was just joking with you, you know, our, our kids are in the public system. Mm -hmm. um, it's just a distance thing. And, and like, there's just not really a, a, an available option for us, Christian education wise and all that. Um, is, is there like a, a pattern of kind of assessing that? Because I think some parents are wondering, especially, and I'm speaking for the, the mm -hmm. public school group here, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, we need to constantly be assessing, is this a good idea or not? But it's such a heavy topic that I think some parents really just want to say, we've made the decision to stick in public school and we're not going to look at it. Um, but that's scary too. Yeah. Right? Cause then we're not paying attention to what's going on in the world around us. Yeah. Uh, I actually think everybody needs to always be assessing everything that, that they're doing as Christians, uh, you know, everything that's not black and white. So anything that, that is just, there's just a lot of wisdom factors involved. You always, we always need to be assessing. Um, but I, when I say that, I don't mean that you're just always in crisis mode either. So I do have, I mean, I shared in the talk that I do personally think there is an ideal. The kind of churches partnering together for the kingdom to provide a, a Bible-based education with a biblical worldview. Um, but it's just, ideal is just not possible in every family's life and situation and from year to year that's going to shift uh so we're, we're we're not thinking that deeply about it at this point because i do think we're in the ideal situation for us mm -hmm. but it's only ideal 
just very tentatively because there's so many factors that that it would they would need to keep it ideal. Uh, just for I mean, if if the the Presbyterian Church that that our classical school is under, if if they became liberal, that's gonna make us think differently. Or or even if they just compromised on on all kinds of things, it's gonna make us think differently. Or if they just because of who they have to hire, they they have to hire just all kinds of Christians from all kinds of different churches. I mean, that's gonna affect some of our decision making. So I just think all the wisdom stuff, we're, we're just always prayerfully, every Christian should always prayerfully be assessing. So think critically is my exhortation to everyone. Yeah. Just always think critically about every, everything. Hold on to what is good. Amen. Amen yeah. to that. But while you do that, you don't have to always feel like you're in crisis mode every year. Yeah. So you, you can trust the Lord in his good providence. I mean, you know, Romans eight twenty eight is just so helpful. Just, he, he will work out all things for the good of his children who love him and are called according to his purpose. Before I forget, I, one one um, one of the concerns with with the effects that education has has on on our children. Uh, you know, I'm a Baptist, so I'm an evangelical. I, I do believe conversion is necessary <laughs> for for every human being in order to go to heaven. You know, God has to give them a new heart, and so I do think sometimes in the Christian edu or the the education of children conversation. Um, I mean, I have a friend recently who just even made me rethink, is it even, is there even such a thing as a Christian school? I mean, what are we talking about when we say right. Christian there? If we're talking about, okay, all the teachers are Christian and they're, they're teaching the Bible. Okay, that's fine. But so are the students not a part of the school then? And is everyone who, who's there a Christian? So uh, just there's, there's, when it comes to how education is affecting our children, you do need to pray for your child to be converted. Mm -hmm. And if your child's not converted, uh, then then there's all kinds of things that are going to go wrong with, with education. It's just, it's just the way it's going to be. They're, they're not going to be, education is not going to produce Christians. It's, it's the preaching of the gospel that's going to produce Christians. And so that's, that's just what we have to always keep front and center, at least in the evangelical world where I think we all speak the same language there. Like let's, let's not, if, if, if children are being, you know, messed up by certain educational spheres, uh, where it starts is in the child's own heart. If they're not converted, uh, there is always going to be things that go wrong. So let's, let's just always trust the power of the spirit to do the work of converting sinners and pray for that for each one of our children. Yeah, you said early on in your talk tonight that the educating of children is not the gospel. Yeah. And I love that line. I wrote yeah. it down right away. I thought, okay, that's going somewhere on my wall. I don't know. Um, just because I think sometimes we can put so much faith in other people. And I mean, this is something we're going to talk about. Um, or I guess when people are hearing this, we'll have already had these conversations with children's ministry directors this summer. You know, Thursday mornings, we do these resilient family workshops. We're bringing in a panel of children's ministry coordinators from churches. It's like everything your children's ministry coordinator wishes they could tell you. Mm -hmm. Because so many times I see families, even at our own church, who drop their kids off down in quote unquote Sunday school mm -hmm. and expect that kids are going to be converted by that. And yeah. six days a week, we're not living that out. Mm -hmm. you, know, you and I both love the book by Donald Whitney, Family <laughs> Worship, uh -huh. which goes after that. Like, let's make this a daily practice. And, mm -hmm. You know, liturgy can be a scary word sometimes mm -hmm. in evangelical circles. And, like, we all live out liturgy of some kind, mm -hmm. right? What I do in the morning before I've had my coffee and after my coffee <laughs> could be considered the uh, liturgy of a certain kind. Mm -hmm. um, and so jumping on that, one of the things I was thinking about, we, our church where I attend, you know, we've, we're fairly... Um, 
heterodox. Like we all think kind of the same way, but there's going to be differences. And we have at our church, public school families in, in Canada, we have Catholic systems. So the Catholic school board uh, is a different system, although publicly funded is different than the public school board, which yeah. I know is not the reality in mm-hmm. Honolulu or Oahu <laughs> or anything like that. Um, we've got Christian school families and we've got homeschool families at our church. Um, and one of the questions I was kind of thinking about in my head is, I know what it's like to educate my child who comes out of the public system. And yet what I heard you talking a lot about is the church coming around families to disciple and to raise them as a community. Mm-hmm. What does it look like when I'm, when I'm trying to engage with a child who I know has a, has family values different than my own and kind of faithfully walking through that. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not trying to be too oblique, but I think there's sometimes, you know, I know that this family may not think the same as me on mm-hmm. a specific issue. And yet, mm-hmm. I feel called and convicted about it. They issue to think, you know, this is biblically what I believe. Yeah. Um, you know, how yeah. do we, how do we support each other as a church when sometimes there are, mm-hmm. although minute theological differences that we hold? Yeah. Now this actually might be the biggest softball of all that you, you gave to me. So I'm thankful. Uh, <laughs> Cause I, it that way, but yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I do think that everyone has to think through theological triage. Um, so, and I, I was, it was an article that Dr. Moeller, Albert Moeller at Southern Seminary had wrote at one point, which I'm, I'm pretty sure he, he got this from, from others. Um, but uh, just the idea of, of understanding what are the essential issues, what are the secondary issues, and then what are the tertiary issues and doctrines that, that we, we're trying to teach in our churches. And I think you have to think in terms of triage also with, with other families that you're interacting with in your church and understand that... Uh, there are some important things that if, if you think, obviously, if you're at the same church, you're going to agree, agree on the first tier issues, but there may be some secondary issues and, and tertiary issues where uh, you're you're going to be in the same church in, happy to be in the same church in, but disagree with each other. I think we should be open about those disagreements. Uh, similar to how if, um, you know, we as elders at our church are always trying to teach our church according to the second London confession of faith. We want everybody to agree with that confession of faith, but we understand not every member of our church is going to agree with it. We just ask our members, Hey, if you're on the side, having conversation, if you disagree with us, with us on something, it's totally fine. Just, just in those conversations, make them aware, Hey, this is what our elders actually believe. And so I want to honor that. But here's also what I personally believe. If you're in conversation like that with, with children of other members of your church and, uh, you know, depending on the issues, you, you want to tread more and more carefully depending on the issues. But I think uh, we all should be open to other Christians in our churches talking to our kids about areas that we disagree with each other on. It, But always making it clear, hey, but I know your mom and dad actually believe this. And so you really should honor them and submit to them as, as, mm-hmm. as much as possible. But yeah, if you're curious, this is what I believe on these things. And I, I think it's totally fine to have disagreements in a Christian church educational choice disagreements and, <laughs> and, but you know, our unity is, is most felt. And I think sometimes the gospel is most clearly seen, uh, you know, just the, the, the body that Jesus purchased, the diversity that he purchased for himself. It, it's best seen when, when there are those kinds of secondary disagreements. And, and I think our kids need to be exposed to that early on, that we're not all, yeah, uniform. So uh, yeah, this was a line I forgot to throw get into the talk. You know, we we sometimes are have, make an idolatry of uniformity yeah. in the church. Jesus never commanded uniformity in his church. He commanded unity, 
And unity is most felt across the, some of the differences we have on the on these secondary issues. And so I, I just think the more open we can be about these differences, the more our Christian unity can actually be felt. And I think that's a healthy thing to expose our children to. Yeah, even mm. cross-denominationally, it makes me think about um, just the way that we we are going to disagree theologically. Mm-hmm. I like the term theological triage. Mm-hmm. I think Dane Ortland wrote a book, The Right Hills to Die On. Oh, yeah. He yeah. really goes through the primary, secondary, mm-hmm. tertiary mm-hmm. Uh, and does it in a humorous way, uh, <laughs> writing style. Um, but uh, we used to live in Christendom. Mm-hmm. where it was very easy. We would almost use denominational differences to differentiate ourselves from each other. Mm-hmm. We don't live in Christendom anymore. We live in a post-Christian world where it's actually very important for us to look for mm-hmm. points of unity. Mm-hmm. Although there are going to be things where I disagree with Presbyterians or mm-hmm. Anglicans mm-hmm. You know, and say, you might be evangelical and believe these major things, but these these secondary or tertiary issues can't sit at the same table as you on, mm-hmm. but I can love you as a brother or sister in the Lord because of this major, mm-hmm. uh, these major beliefs that we share. Mm-hmm. What is that? Um, uh, I'm going to try to phrase this well, um, coming out of a post pandemic world mm-hmm. where the world has been increasingly divided. I think that's bled into even churches that say they agree the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I can think of instances people have shared with me in the last 24 hours where they said something to a member of their church where they said, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to have to go apologize to that for that because that was unnecessary. Like there's, there is a lot of division even within United churches. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I mean, not denominationally United, but churches <laughs> yeah. that are united in their theology. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder if you can speak a little bit to this, this cancel culture that we live in and, and how that maybe interacts with educational choices, because I do see a little bit more, you know, division between homeschool or Christian school or public school groups? Yeah. Um, if I understand the question on, on cancel culture, I, I'm not always sure what, what everyone means by that. But if I understand it, I mean, maybe in the educational choice discussion, um, you know, I, I can see a lot of um, uh, homeschool families just, just really um, ostracizing a family like you who who right. might have your your child in public school and yeah. and it's almost just a end of discussion kind of thing uh th- that that we just um just don't live in a world where you could ever they they could ever conceive of anything like that and i really have no answer for this except that our pulpits just have to be that much clearer about what the gospel is mm. and so like like the yeah the the the, the uh, statement about you know systems of education not being the gospel and so just being really clear every every member of the church being really clear on what is the gospel so that we just understand that outside of that we, I might you have to just train every member of the church to have this mindset that I, I might be wrong about this. I, I just have this mindset like, okay, we're not talking about the Trinity here. We're not talking about the person and work of Christ. We're the not, resurrection. Yes, we're not talking about the resurrection. Um, so when it comes to public school versus private school, like I might not be seeing as clearly as I think I'm seeing. If it was 
as clear as the Trinity is in the Bible, then we wouldn't be having these debates right now. You know, there would have been a church council many, many years ago that would have settled, settled the, yeah. uh, I mean, even maybe even just 300 years ago, there, there would have been something where Christians would have got together and had the definitive statement on Christian education. And it's just, it really is not that as clear as most families with opinions think it is. And especially considering how much things are changing and how quickly. Yes. Right? Even yeah. 50, 60 years ago, the mm-hmm. 1950s and 60s, we're not thinking about this in the same way that we are in 2023. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it's funny you mentioned that. I, I joke with people often. I, I like small churches. Um, I grew up at a large church, about 800 families. And, you know, it was great. Mm-hmm. Um, the pastor I grew up under is actually teaching at NBC this summer. So okay. be careful what I say. But, <laughs> uh, he's fantastic. And I'm looking forward to that. But um, I really love small churches because I think it's good for people to be seen and be known mm-hmm. uh, in the church. And I often joke, I wish Paul at some point in Acts, you know, had talked about the, the ideal size of a church. <laughs> just like, okay, we're at 120. We need to subdivide. Cause <laughs> so, right? um, switching topics, you know, this, this evening you talked about four issues and then in the Q and a with the audience, mm-hmm. someone said there's a fifth. Mm-hmm. He said, it's the fifth way of education is the cell phone. Um, and I, you know, I laughed at first, but he had a really strong point that um, a lot of education is not actually happening in a traditional education system anymore, that mm-hmm. kids are learning a lot of things outside of that. And I don't want to dive too much into the technological debate of mm-hmm. our cell phones good or our cell phones bad. Um, but I am, I am wondering if you can speak a little bit to what parents might want to think about when it comes to how cell phones and engagement with the internet and all of these things. I mean, I'm wearing an Apple watch right now. I've got a Mm -hmm. phone in my hand, all these things. What is that like and how can we prepare for that as parents? Mm -hmm. Um, uh, When you ask, what is that like? Yeah, I I guess what I'm trying to say is, um, should, do you have a preference maybe for how we should be preparing? You know, what would you, what would you see if you could see an ideal way forward? Yeah. um, You know, on, on the, the history of, um, media and different forms of technology. I, I am not, I have, I'm not well read at all, but in my very novice understanding, I do think technology has just always been something that Christians have had to think through. So with the cell phone and all these different um, electronic devices today, it's a different form of technology, and maybe it's uh, there's there's more bombardment in in a lot of places than than other places. Uh, but I I really do think Christians have always had to think critically about technology. I, mean, I, I heard somebody with with the illustration that I mean, even in in a funny way, you know, the the pen and paper that Paul wrote on was was technology, and and yeah. he used it for the good. And I promise you, they were using it for lots of bad things yeah. back then. So I know you didn't want to get too much into is is cell phones good or bad. Uh, it's it's sort of just a, a wrong question that people are asking there. It, it really is uh, always trying to train children's hearts as as much as we're able. Again, with this idea that conversion is the absolute necessity for for my child to to really use everything for the glory of god but still i can still I, there's enough common grace in every human being that i can still train my child to think you know use some of the common grace gifts that god gives to every human being you know think more critically actually use wisdom actually uh think through 
um, what are really just truly immoral things, you know, ethically wrong things and ethically good things. Just just try to train them to to think in ways that we know every human being can think think in, uh, and and just keep praying over that. Um, keep making the gospel clear in our churches and in our homes and in family worship. Um, and, and I just think that has, it, it's the, the means that God has always used to either convert sinners or definitely help Christians grow. But I also think the the means that he has always used to, uh, just for lack of a better phrase, to, to restrain sin in unbelievers mm. has just always been prayer <laughs> and the word of God and uh, the preaching of the gospel just, and when that's happening in the context of a faithful Christian home that's connected to a faithful Christian church, uh, I do think you're doing your part. If you're just in that context, trying to train them to think critically, I do think you're doing your part in helping them to know how to use technology for, for at least for the better. Um, I, I, I think we can say, fa- safely say that you're doing those things. Uh, the, yeah, there, was, there were six things that I had written down that I forgot to mention that no matter what the educational context, I know it's praying, being involved in a local church, and I'm sure it's a couple of the things I've already mentioned here. If you're just doing these things, you can at least know you're doing your part as a, as a faithful Christian parent. Because you you can't you just can't force um, your your child to to make all all the external decisions that you you want them to make, and there's just at some point you're just going to cross a line of unhealth. At some point, if, if you're just trying to just force them to to live a certain way, because again, apart from the work, spirit's work in their heart, uh, at best you're going to be creating Pharisees mm. if you're just working on external behavior all the time. And uh, Jesus just has the harshest thing to say to Pharisees. So it just we, we just do our part to try and train their hearts and trust God with the results. Todd, thank you so much for taking the time yeah, tonight. You're welcome. Uh, we are just so grateful for you. And uh, yeah, people will be hearing this in October, but let me say it to you here in July. Thank you for your generosity and your wisdom. Mm, you're welcome. My pleasure. That's the end of our first episode of the season. A big thank you again to Todd for bringing such wisdom and humor to the episode. We appreciate you and are praying for your ministry in Hawaii. Todd, if you're listening to this, don't forget that you wanted me to come visit your church one day. I'm waiting for the invitation and the flight tickets. Todd's recommended some books for you to read, and you can find those in the show notes of this podcast episode when you have the chance. Next week, we have Pastor Paul Carter joining us to talk about generational divides and how to make connections across those gaps. It's a fascinating, informative session, and we can't wait for you to hear it. If you've enjoyed listening to today's episode, please consider sharing it with a friend, subscribing on your favorite podcast app, or giving us a like on NBC's social media pages. If you have any questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. Transforming Culture is a production of Muskoka Bible Center. It's hosted and produced by Luke LaRocque. Editing, sound design, and mixing by Abhishek Varghese. Audio recording by the Summer 2023 AV Team. And the theme song is Citizens by John Guerra. Graphic design by Christina Tabakal-Hotz. See you next time for another episode of Transforming Culture. I need to know there is justice That it will roll in abundance And that you're building a city Where we arrive as heroes